welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Kat. I consider myself normal, whatever that means. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. But what are you going to do? This was the deal. In this episode, we're sitting down to a game of Scrabble with 1986's She's Gotta Have It. Written and directed by Spike Lee, this was his first feature-length film to be released and in 2017, he adapted it into a Netflix television series. Tonight, we'll be trying not to burn Thanksgiving dinner with Nola and talking about her connections with Jamie, Mars and Greer. Are these relationships about love or are they more about control? Please, baby, please, baby, please, baby, 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 please. (laughs) There's a quote from the end. (laughs) So I, I hadn't seen this film before and... It's. I think it's, you know, when we've talked previously about 80s films and, and films with all the different dynamics and relationships that we've come across, and noticing that this was from 1986, it's a strange piece to look at with sort of current eyes because of the peers, the other films that came out around the same time, and also the, the way that it's filmed, sort of 95% of it's in black and white. It was um, an interesting tone to watch, but I think the the premise of the relationships in that Nola has essentially three relationships all going at the same time. It's um, it's quite a forward thinking piece, um, even by probably by today's standards. If you think about it, yes, I completely agree. Which is quite amazing, considering it's is it thirty five years old this film now, mm. and yeah, just to see. Because actually what they're showing in this is like Nola's behaviour. If she were a guy and she were juggling three women, it would. I don't think we'd think it was that unusual, would we? No, I think it, it might be played possibly for laughs more. Yeah. I think that it would seem more as a, a comedy piece, whereas while there are some very funny elements and, and characters within the film. I mean, it's a, it's parts of it are very serious parts of it, are quite dark or very dark. And, um, when you, you think about this, this feels like more of an exploration of a character's. And, and I mean, a lot of the things that we talk about, you know, as topics, we have motivations, uh, chemistry points of view, who holds the cards, all of them apply a lot more than than some of the films that we've looked at here, and you know, it ticks so many of our boxes anyway that it was fascinating to watch. And I think when you look at it through modern eyes, and 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 as we said, we we haven't watched the TV series of of the the same story, but it's really quite incredible that I mean, obviously Spike Lee went on to has gone on to do some great things since, but coming back to it now, it feels very experimental it feels in some ways like a stage production but yet the the way he looks at nola and and how she manages to keep these three guys together and it's it's a fascinating piece of work yeah i think it's really impressive as a feature-length debut and um it has it has all of these elements to it that feels quite sort of like european cinema it feels a little bit like um Woody Allen's Manhattan, I think the way it looks and the way the jazz music is used. And um, yeah, I, I, I find it really refreshing quite a lot of it because it 
just it explores sexual relationships that do involve love. It's not that people are kind of completely dissociating their emotions from the idea of what it is to have sex with someone, but they're just not fitting within the conventional parameters of what we usually see in movies and particularly romantic comedies. If this one sort of kind of fits into that genre in some respects, I think it does and others not. And that, is really good, I think, because I think uh, sometimes we talk about relationships when we um, have covered other um, other movies, and when we talk about our own experiences and what we've seen from the people that we know in real life, quite often people's relationships don't actually fit that neatly into a category. There's usually something about a, an individual's experience where they've had something that feels a bit unconventional. So I think it. Yeah, it's a really good movie just exploring what can happen sometimes between men and women and how they can kind of like press each other's buttons. I mean, there's something about Nola's ambivalence that seems to really get under the skin of these guys. Can can you tell me why you think that is? Well, I think when you when you watch it and speaking about myself as a 40 something say guy about town, really not. But um the way that the three guys, they seem to have different expectations. They seem to have different hopes. And they look, kind of look at her differently. And the, the interesting thing, I suppose, is that there's as much of... It's as much about them, the three guys, as it is about Nola. Yeah. Which is probably both a good thing for the purposes of a narrative, but also slightly difficult when you think that really the film's about her yes and she's a bit of an enigma you think yeah yeah, and, and she's yeah. kind of it's almost like the guys and, and some of the the scenes where the three or two of the guys are, are together and interacting they are there's elements of competition there's elements of almost teaming up and and, and in some cases like a, a strange uneasy friendship and they yeah. they are slightly caricatures certainly Greer and, and Mars but um, I find when you explore Jamie for example he on the main level seems to be the most I say the word normal but he seems <laughs> he, he seems almost old fashioned to some degree as well he wants to be like an old fashioned husband and almost wants from her to be an old fashioned partner yes and I think he seems to find her behavior the most strange whereas Mars accepts her for who she is but realizes his own limitations a little bit and uh, and then Greer is just a very strange creation he's um yes it's hilarious he's hilarious but then he's also kind of where the film goes in terms of he's the most interesting in terms of the film's relationship with race and and this isn't a race yeah. podcast but it's um he's almost a parody of of black people acting like what they see white people in some regards yes yes i i, I see what you mean yeah, yeah completely but um and 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 he's very outlandish um in a funny way and, and he has some fun quirks but uh he he treats nola like a like arm candy um and wants to kind of better her and i think refine her was one of the terms he used 
Yes, yes, he says that he encourages um, her to read more and that she's like this clump of clay and that he's a sculptor. And, um, <laughs> he, wants to, he wanted to introduce her to the finer things in life and um, and then at the end he reproaches her for not being, amb- you were never ambitious enough, you were never driven enough for me, you know. He's like and, Swiss um, Tony, isn't he? A woman is not just a creature that likes fine wines, Whitney Houston films and the manly smell of a pipe. I think you're right that the, he does have elements that are a bit caricatured, but at the same time, you do get guys like that in real life, I'm afraid. I mean, I've been there. <laughs> they think that their their main thing is to kind of better you, you know? I mean, I suppose it's a bit of a kind of Henry Higgins thing that mm. he thinks he's got going on, you know? Yeah, I suppose it's, it's... At least he's got a healthy opinion of himself, you know that's that's one thing, but um, I, I I found one of the the lines in there that it kind of saw to some angle the perceptions that the guys have of Nola was I think Mars said to Jamie that um, she's about as dependable as a ripped diaphragm. Yeah, and it's kind of they're behind her back judging her like she's trying to have it all and she's taking her eye off the ball and and not really getting ahead with any of them it's um i mean we've and you know this is a film made in the 80s where attitudes were different in many ways to how they are now and this is like you said if if the, the the genders were flipped you'd have to be really sharp with how you how you portrayed it in a way that was both i mean definitely funny but also how you judge it in a way that would come across in an without being misogynistic. But don't we see that quite a lot in different versions in films where you have, I mean, doesn't Bond in the space of a film quite often sleep with different women? Yeah, but they're not always kind of in, in competition with each other. They're kind of just there and then the next one's there and then the next one's there. It's, which sounds awful, but it's, it's very mechanical kind of positioning, I suppose, when, when you compare it to, to other films we've done, where... And it's not even infidelity, is it? Because there's no dishonesty. There's no dishonesty, no. Yeah. But I think that's kind of what gets to them slightly about, yeah. about her. As um, Jamie says about Nola, that um, she couldn't lie even if she wanted to. It wasn't in her nature. She could be brutally honest, mm. which I think is, you know, is definitely inaccurate observation about her as a character is really striking throughout the movie isn't it where she'll answer the phone to one of them while the other one is there and they'll say who is that and she'll tell them the truth <laughs> think, oh my god you lie <laughs> what's wrong with you <laughs> but uh i so oddly enough you th- the whole time you think she'd be getting an easier time if she was trying to kind of you know yeah um, be less be less authentic so it's it's something that's really striking about her as a character but isn't isn't the thing in in other films where if someone like bond has different women isn't it just because he's not being uh, valued in the same way because mars says about nola all men want freaks they just don't want them for a wife so the whole thing all the time isn't meant to be that they that they object to having casual sex with a woman what they're all trying to persuade her of is that she should be being monogamous with each of them so that you know they can treat her with they would think respect 
but it's you know but she's got other ideas yeah i suppose there's a bruised ego kind of thing where they have to accept that they are not her world and i think when you talk about the ways that she i mean she has them all around for thanksgiving dinner which yeah. is the recipes of some kind of farce and you know and greer totally i mean the way that like an old cloud well it is yeah and that the the interaction between the three and and she's very much and the way it's shot she's shot on her own and then the three of them are in the same shot so it's kind of like a team you know like in tennis they're all on one side of the net fighting against her and that's such a good point yeah you know because the interactions between the three of them are in that scene what makes it interesting yeah, um, she yes. she's just the umpire, kind of watching it go along. And um, I mean, one of the bits was I visit again Mars and Jamie, who became semi friendly over the course of the film. I think was it one of them said, "Well, you can have a four nights, I will have a free, but I get her for the weekends." <laughs> yeah, and then and then there's that other bit where Mars comes and talks to Jamie about going going to a ball game or something isn't yeah. there? And they kind of bond over that which is a really funny scene and i really like it but it does show that they they actually have less animosity towards each other than they do towards her yeah it's like they 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 may may have lost a potential long-term partner but they've gained a friend <laughs> i mean do you think that that can happen with girl? like in, in a do you think that's quite a realistic depiction of what might happen in that scenario where the woman kind of takes the takes the bitterness and the guys actually they might you know they might have a bit of a wrestle around or or shove each other or whatever but then once that's out of their system they're perfectly willing to be mates with the other guys um it probably does happen yeah. i think yeah. and when you realize you know if this is a fleeting relationship or or whatever it is and you know sometimes and again this is could be a when we've talked about films with friendships where the friendship is stronger than any romantic links again it's a strange meet cute that they meet because they share a girlfriend but it's um you know if you put this in a sitcom <laughs> it's very funny yeah. um, and, and here there are more serious elements to it so i thought it was really creative the way that they did that and the imbalance of the three where because you've also got the snobbery and again we're talking about the guys this is what the film was doing but um how greer looks down on the other two yes there's no and you know and as well as the way he looks down on nola but to him she's a project like he said the the quote that he's a sculptor yes and yet to to him the other two guys are like I mean, I won't use some of the language, but low-class, ignorant, ghetto, whatever, to describe yeah. to describe his his rivals. Yes, um, there's so much snobbery there that yes, it's funny because he's one of three. If he was the main character or the main love interest, that could have got quite un- uncomfortable. Oh, completely. But I think that the way they position him is good because he's quite um the jokes on him a lot of the time isn't it like there's the wonderful sex scene of him taking off his clothes <laughs> uh, which is such a which is such a clever scene because you know it's like this beautiful man with a beautiful body but um you know they get just that that little touch of getting him to take them off so 
slowly and then folding them up methodically. You think actually, you know, you can make a really funny sex scene that still still has elements of sexiness about it and involves very beautiful people, but actually just one little kind of character detail like that can make it so funny. And it feels so true to life, something, something like that about a person, doesn't it? Yeah, it's these funny quirks that people have. And bear in mind as well, these weren't his good clothes. <laughs> these were his workout clothes. <laughs> oh my, can you imagine what he must be like? He's wearing his, yeah, best, best glad rags. I know. Yeah, completely. You know, he's got a beautiful woman lying in bed in front of him. And I mean, it's it's kind of a show anyway. But... um, (laughs) Is that the show? I'll say, hey, watch me fold my vest. um, (laughs) And and the way that... I mean, and and the direction of the film. And I'm, you know, I'm no film critic or anything. But some of the ways that Spike Lee cuts... Every time you go to Greer folding his clothes... It then cuts back to Nola in a more advanced state of boredom. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, more exaggerated, but every time it's like, this is how long he's taking. This guy, you know, she's ready for this guy, and he's just like, ooh, I've got to fold my shorts. <laughs> well, I love that scene between the two of them later on where he asks her to go on that work trip with him. And she says, I don't know if I could stand being alone with you for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> And again, it's such a it's such a little detail having her actually verbalised that, and you think, yeah, you know, so you can't, you're really rooting for her because you think yeah, mo- most of us probably wouldn't be that honest, but when you see a character like his and he's sort of so vain, so so kind of over, well, he he seems to depict a kind of confidence that's um, not necessarily earned, although you do also get the impression that he's deeply, deeply insecure, don't you? I wonder if in a, in an alternate timeline, because the first thing I thought when I saw Greer in his car, uh, I think it's the first talking head with him in his car, and I immediately thought of Daryl from Coming to America. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then when you find out that Eric LaSalle was originally the first choice to play Greer. Oh, really? Oh, amazing. Yeah. And you kind of think like, wow, like, you know, when we've seen Daryl in, in Coming to America, it's um, it's this fairly similar guy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that would have been a, a strange film had, had that worked out. Although he, I think the quote that I read was that he thought the role was too shallow. And I said, well, that was kind of the point. Yes. Yeah, so. completely. Completely. Yeah. Let yourself. <laughs> we were one stunning couple. She was a little rough when I first started going out with her. Typical Brooklyn tag. But I refined her. I encouraged her to read more, took to the best of places, exposed her to new ideas. Why, you should have seen the way she dressed. It was I who made her a better person. I molded her. Greer Childs was the sculptor. Nola Darling was but a mere lump of clay. Partly they're trying to show themselves. There is a bit of that kind of cockfighting, chest out kind of, I'm the best partner for her. And trying to strutting kind of stuff. And then there's also the competition between them as guys, because guys just do that kind of stuff. And, and she does get 
ignored. You know, the whole scene where she brings them together, she doesn't have an awful lot to do. Yeah. You know, she's there as the thing in common. But um, it's a it's an odd kind of dynamic that that's the case. And I mean, it's very progressive that all three, you know, maybe they do think, you know, as you said, the film's inspired by some European cinema and maybe they think this is a very European setup. <laughs> well, they don't seem very happy about the setup, though, do they? <laughs> no, but uh, it's almost kind of if we stick with it, she might choose me. Well, do you think there's something in the fact that she's ambivalent? Do you think that quite often, and obviously not to not to group men together too much, but do you think some sometimes if if a guy gets the impression that a woman, you know, is a bit kind of comsy comsa about a about a relationship, you know, take it or leave it, that kind of might drive him to kind of become a bit obsessed with why that is. Um, what well, it makes her an enigma, and yeah. she must she must be explored. Yeah, and you want to um, know what, why isn't she more desperate? To have, she's a single person. Why isn't she more desperate to be with me? You know. Yeah, possibly. I think there is that kind of the unknown and the unusual. Um, you know, we don't often see in films of this era anyway, where women kind of have that, and, and the word we used in our intro is control. You know, she's the one who they want her to make the decision. And she's the one with a power because she's the one who enjoys this lifestyle. She's quite happy with the three of them as they are, even though it doesn't seem desperately happy. But um, she seems to quite enjoy it. And even the bits where there's almost like a, again, using that modern word gaslighting. Yeah. Where Greer basically implies that she's a sex addict and seeks help for her. Yes. Um, I mean, I wonder if this would have been an early, one of the first sort of references in a film to a woman being a sex addict, but in not in the kind of hysterical early old days film where a woman shows a bit of leg, she must be a sex addict. Like we talked about in It Happened One Night, an actual sex addict. I think the way the whole movie opens with her saying, I want to clear my name, and if it helps some people out, that's fine too. Some people call me a freak. I don't believe in labels. You could, you because the whole thing opens with that, you could see the movie as being a bit of a kind of manifesto against this idea that if a woman exhibits similar behaviours to to a lot of men um, when it comes to their sex life, then, you know, what's going to happen is probably people will try and, as they say, slut-shame her and tell her that she has problems or that she might need to see a therapist and that um, sometimes, you know, it can just be to do with the fact that that's just how she wants to live her life and there doesn't have to be any any underlying problem that that's causing that. Or consensual, it's fine. Yeah, well, the the whole thing of um, them trying to because I think both Greer and Mars put uh, down her her taste for having these three lovers rather than just the one down to her problems with her father, don't they? <laughs> yeah, it just seems so. I don't know, cliched. Completely. Da- da- daddy issues. <laughs> 
I mean, they they de- they deal with that well, don't they? Because they they make it clear by interviewing her dad and him saying that you know they they showed her a lot of uh, affection and paid for her um, music lessons and all of these things that they were very encouraging of her self expression. Mm. And um, yeah, there isn't any implication, is there, that she was that she was deprived of love as a child? Although I guess there is a implication that. She, because he says that she didn't stick at anything for that long, that might imply that um, she quite likes a bit of variety in her life. Possibly. But, you know, this is just how she is and deal with it. And Well, there's nothing wrong with variety, is there? Variety well, would be great. Yeah, it's the spice of life, apparently. But it's, uh, it's, it's how they explore that. Um, and, and one thing that we do kind of see towards the end of the movie and, and try not to jump around too much where yeah. she ultimately chooses Jamie to have a monogamous relationship with mm. but only after she's experimenting with celibacy because and, and he points it out to her you know you're one extreme to the other there's no middle ground she goes yeah. straight from having three boyfriends to one but we're not doing anything um, and that's an interesting perspective of it because she's trying something you know but what's the what's the experiment is it the celibacy or is it the one boyfriend is it both who knows but um yeah it kind of implies that she's open to you know experimenting at least it's it's an odd kind of way of describing or painting that picture of her as someone who is a bit carefree and the fact that she picks celibacy yeah well yeah and at the same time as the single, uh, the one boyfriend, she does. She, she needs to do two new things at the same time, which aren't necessarily compatible, or at least they're, they're far different from what she's been doing already. Yes, yeah. Well, I think because that scene comes after the really, the really brutal scene between her and Jamie. I, I suppose I read that as her having had a really bad experience with him and, and because, you know, he basically rapes her and that that leaves her with a feeling then of maybe kind of associating that feeling with um, her having been punished for the behaviour that she'd been exhibiting before, which, you know, she obviously shouldn't have been. But I think that sometimes when someone does something awful to you in that way they can successfully shame you and make you feel that shame and maybe that makes her sort of feel like oh well maybe I don't deserve any better than this guy so I should tell him that I want to be with him but also he's you know I I don't I don't really kind of feel able to to have sex again anytime soon so even though yeah that is that is a contradiction but you can sort of see how she might get to that place mentally can't you yeah well very much i mean it's 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 probably with the benefit of hindsight and science and stuff it is probably a quite an obvious signal of post-traumatic stress yeah completely where she's undergone a trauma yeah and she's replying to that in a way that she thinks is quite a warranted reaction yeah um you know and the fact that the contradiction is what well, they're both a reaction to that incident because he's asserted a power and a dominance over her and yeah. she has succumbed to it by wanting to be his girlfriend 
but also she's reacting the other way and that she doesn't want to have intimacy with him because of what he's done. Yes, yeah, yeah, Um, completely. And it's quite common, I think. Um, Yeah, I think so, yeah. and, And if you've gone through that, then, of course, you're going to be thinking a lot of different things. You're not going to be necessarily thinking with the rational, straight thinking, oh, well, this is a bad thing, because it's such a complex thing that's happened. And... Of course, it's uns- it, it, of course it's a big surprise, but it's also, you know, a massive change in the dynamic between the two that, you know, I mean, the fact that Spike Lee then came, turned around later on and said he wished he hadn't done it. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe it could have been done differently, but the fact is it is incredibly powerful because of the impact it's had. Oh, ab- absolutely. And I, and I think that... Um you can see how maybe it would have been a good idea to maybe deal with the aftermath of it differently. But I think that it's also interesting to see his character, because his character starts the film, I think the first thing we see him talking about is this idea of soulmates and that she was his soulmate. So I think that it, you know, draws the viewer in. Um, And because, you know, and you have this thing of him organising that like beautiful sort of MGM style technical a dance for her on her birthday you know he's the romantic one that you're kind of drawn in by through the film I mean romantic in comparison to the other two in some ways mm. uh, and then to see him be the one that assaults her I think that that you know that there's something really interesting about how that shows that um you know people that are abusive you can't you can't spot them they're not easy to spot you know they'll they they'll quite often do a very good job of um showing the outside world that they're seemingly a really lovely person or a very romantic or good person but then behind closed doors they can do something really dark so mm. i i can sort of see how you know that's quite an interesting thing to point out in a movie isn't it yeah and i guess that it's so blatant and and his change because of well he references before and after that he kind of dislikes the fact that he enjoyed it yeah um you know so it's not just a one-off this is kind of him undergoing a change because of you know under all the the romance you know we've seen elements already of a bit of coercion and a bit of jealousy with with um her relationship with opal Yes, yeah, he's oh god, he's he's awful about that, isn't he? Yeah, he's so yeah. threatened by her female friend who happens to be gay. Yes, he says to her, You're a very beautiful woman. I wouldn't have thought that you were gay, which is such a terrible <laughs> line, isn't it? It's horrible. Yeah, really horrible. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, I mean he like that's the thing, he sh- even though there's the kind of the charming side of him, you know, the the courting where he follows her from the bus stop. Yeah. And all the bits where he comes across as a very nice guy and very thoughtful and very emotional and, and that. But there are undercurrents throughout of him being unpleasant, him being horrible, him having control issues himself. No, you're so right, completely, yeah. Mm. Yeah. What? <laughs> completely. <Sorry. good. laughs> I'll bleep that bit out. He, yeah, um... I mean, we haven't mentioned Opal at all. She's a kind of interested in being very much a fourth wheel in that little um, little fiesta. Yes, I mean, this is—it's the interesting thing about Nola, isn't it? Is that she is a bit of an object of obsession, 
for a lot of the people in in the movie and that includes oh, there is something about the way opal is is quite she's quite pushy with her isn't she mm. and um, there must be something about i mean i think you can can have that sometimes um, someone like nola her her charisma or something must yeah must be something that kind of what makes people want to figure her out because everyone seems to be trying to figure her out, don't they? Yeah, she she has a gravity. She's an enigma in her soul. She's an enigma. Mm. One of my favourite lines in it is um, Greer's one towards the end where he he says, we let her create a three-headed, six-armed, six-legged, three-penis monster. <laughs> and it was all our fault. It's It's kind of true. You can sort of see how by having kind of these three different guys on the go at the same time none of them have been really making her that fulfilled in in some ways but and then putting them all you know not wanting to lie to any of them means that they all just get more and more sort of controlling and unpleasant with her and um it makes something kind of awful and as he says it was all it was all their fault it's not her fault i i guess as well the film is interesting when you look at the concept of dating as a whole um when there's the the various talking heads with was it 10 guys i, I can't remember how many it was and oh, yeah. um and the guys basically come up with all their best lines until eventually i was the one said that you're so fine baby i'd drink a tub of your bath water <laughs> yeah. um and they get progressively worse yes until the final one which is just awful I think, you, know, what, you mean the tube, the tube the steak? The tube steak, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is after the guy who's essentially Greer. He's saying, I own a new BMW 318. I make 53 fowl a year after tax and I want you to want me. <laughs> <laughs> it just says a lot. I mean, it's just so... You, you've kind of got the... It's like the 10 degrees of separation there. They just go from quite normal to just unfortunately to be honest is probably quite normal well but, yeah, yeah. T- tin- tinder bios right Oy. there yeah <laughs> you see you need a man like me to understand you to hold you to caress you to love you you need me what's your number i know i only saw you for the first time in my life a minute ago but I love you. I know I only saw you for the first time in my life one minute ago, but I love you. I love you. I love you. Look, baby, let's go to my house right now. Let's do the wild thing. I mean, let's get loose. No, that's that's very that's very good. Uh, well, I think that's quite clever as well, because not only is that a funny, it also, I think, um, introduces you to Jamie, doesn't it? Because they show those clips before she meets Jamie. So you're meant to sort of see how in contrast mm. even though as you say there are lots of things about Jamie from the get-go where you're you're feeling a bit uneasy you're sort of conscious of the fact that in comparison to some of these other guys he might seem like someone who's sensitive and um caring in comparison I mean it's it's similar to Mars actually in a way because uh, Mars comes out with some really unpleasant stuff and he seems much less mature than Nola but on the other hand there are also these moments like the bit where he puts her pants on his head and pretends to be a superhero 
where you think, oh, he is really funny. But we've all done and it. <laughs> and she's, you know, there's something about their natural chemistry that's really striking and nice to see. And, um, yeah, he... Yeah, he's he's good at making her laugh, and that that's important. So you can see why you know he's he's got his foot in the door, so to speak, because um, it's hard to find a guy that will make you laugh. Yes, we are rare. <laughs> I, I mean, again, that there is that side of it where, on the other hand, and we think about the the nightmare that Nola has, in that the nightmare is that all three guys have girlfriends. Yes. And they're going to set her on fire. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we already know that Mars is seeing someone called Roxanne. Um, and we don't know what stage that relationship is. Um, towards the end of the film, Jamie started seeing someone Yes. as well. Well, one can assume that Greer is also sculpting something else. But um, that, that <laughs> I mean, that's quite a vivid dream to have, is that three sort of other lovers then come and set fire to you while you sleep that's um that's a psychiatrist dream yeah that, that, i think that scene sort of t- touches on something that's quite important in the movie which is just this general sense that nola's having of kind of um even though she's happy with herself there are these moments where she feels kind of shamed by the guys or or maybe shamed by the idea of the the women that they might be involved with because you know, no matter how much confidence you have in yourself, you're still operating in a in our society, aren't you? So um, you know that if you're a woman and you've got different lovers and they're going to be people out there that point the finger and call you names because of that, even though even if you're not hurting anyone or lying to anyone, there's still going to be people that do that to you. Yeah, I suppose that, that kind of shows her sort of, fears um well so fears obviously but like insecurities as well yeah. um you know and, and a vulnerability that there's always someone else i guess i mean you know her her, her motivations aren't to be the the top dog uh, you know we referenced i think in a previous episode about you know people being kind of lefarios and shaggers and and all this that's not her she's not just out to get anything it's her just doing what makes her happy and being yeah. very honest about it you know if everyone goes into this with their eyes open um, yes so. yeah and there's a few sequences where they show her um kind of um like in, enjoying enjoying sex and or enjoying physical touch and you really get the sense with her that she's you know that she's getting a lot of kind of laughter and joy from it and that it's all yeah, that just like she just follows her senses when it comes to pleasure. That it's not you know that it's not anything that she's doing to punish herself or anything. She's she genuinely enjoys these things. Even that scene where she asks Jamie for a massage, I think is just important at kind of showing you that um, Nola isn't you know she's not kind of ashamed of like just seeking out her own pleasure. And I think that's still in in movies actually quite unusual with women in sexual scenarios. I think that kind of um, you know, there can be a bit of a thing where you, like you're generally sort of taught that you're meant to worry more about whether or not he's okay rather than you're okay. Yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised if there are more lingering close-ups of a female nipple of any other movie on Netflix. <laughs> but then it's not done in the way that you might think from a film of that time 
and I'm not going to say Top Gun because you didn't see anything. But it was. Um, Sorry about that. Yeah, it's just, it's a, a, a negative mark for the film. But it's. Um, <laughs> but in here, it's, it's not for kind of titillation, pun intended. But it's. Um, you know, it's just this is her body. This is yeah. hers. You know, this isn't for guys to watch and go. Whoa. This is just part of her. It's as much part yes. of her as it is her making a joke or singing a song or whatever. Um, and I think the, the scenes that show, and particularly the scene with her and Greer in bed once he's folded his pants up. Um, yes. You know, and it gets a bit weird and it gets a bit, and I read one of the, I think it was the New York Times review of the film, where it said that, bear in mind, this is Spike Lee's sort of mainstream debut. And a lot of the things that he did, in particular that scene in bed, was quite experimental and didn't necessarily work. And it was the bit where the kind of the shot flipped very quickly, um, with a almost comedy sound effect um, of them in bed together. But it was clearly showing them kind of he's a peak physical being, and she enjoys that, you know. And they're having a lot of fun together. Um, yeah, well, and also it. Sh- I mean, it shows you other things, yeah. doesn't it? In that, um, yeah. I mean, I think I've seen. I don't know about you, but I think I've seen mon- sex montages in other films where sometimes the point of the montage is showing you all the different positions they're doing <laughs> yeah. it in, for instance. Whereas in that one, it's not. It's not. Mm. It's not like they're kind of occupying a different. And that's usually how it's used. But I think that in itself, you know, just tells you something about their. The kind of sexual relationship they're having, you know, not in, not in any way a negative way or anything no. like that. I just mean that it's you know it's a detail. All of these things are interesting. Yeah, I mean they're not going through um, the karma. They're not going through the karma sutra. No. <laughs> yeah, that would be exactly. Ti- that would be tiring. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. I mean, all of these, all of the physical aspects in it, like tell you something. Mm. Um, like uh, the scene where she greases Mars's scalp. I think is actually quite um quite a kind of tender nice scene between them and sort of shows you that she's not um because even though i think in another scene mars says she could be greedy Mm. that actually shows you that she's you know that she's willing to do something for mars that you know isn't about her her pleasure it's about something that he's asked her to do and it's not sexual and um that's quite nice well that was kind of after the massage scene wasn't it Uh, um, yeah and i think it shows as well because i think um Jamie definitely emotionally comes across as perhaps a bit more vulnerable, but Mars is putting himself in that kind of way where because if you're dating someone and it's I would say serious, it's, it's kind of it's hard to label it as serious or casual in this case, but you're dating someone and they're greasing your head and commenting on your dandruff. That's yeah. A, really vulnerable position to put yourself in it's very long-term relationship it is because if you're really i mean you'd have to be really willing to put yourself in that position to have someone and bear in mind this is post-coital um yeah sit there you know grooming you and then talking about your dandruff and you sit there going blimey that that's that's a kind of a moment I, i use the word tender but it's um it's definitely a connection there where she's willing to do that. Um, and he's put himself in that position. You know, he's not just there for, for jokes 
and to be yeah, I mean let's be honest if, if this was made now he'd be they could just take any old Tom Dick and Harry from Shoreditch you know with his bike and his Air Jordan trainers and massive glasses it's another aspect of Nola's character that's interesting isn't it that um that she wants to have fun with these guys but she's also sort of willing to do some of these things like help Mars look for an apartment that maybe you would usually expect from people that are in a relationship even though she doesn't want to have a long-term relationship with them yeah because she drops one guy to help another in more kind of say mundane but like you say relationshipy kind of stuff yeah. Um, that goes beyond a date. It's not like she's... Because you might expect it to be the other way around. It's like, oh, we're just going to spend the afternoon floating around Ikea. Oh, no, I've been invited out to the theatre and drinks and dinner. That's more appealing. I'm going to do that, whereas she seems to do it the other way around, which shows a layer of compassion, I think. Yes. Yes, completely. Do, do, you, think it, do, do you think as a movie it sort of sends up our attitudes when it comes to labelling people in general a bit? Yes and no. I think it's easier to label the guys in this film a bit because they're the caricatures to yeah. some extent. And and I think the film is kind of daring you to label Nola, but not doing it. Because, yeah. I mean, it's definitely deliberately framing her as an individual person doing her own thing and it's not hurting anyone. It's absolutely fine. And I think in 1986 that would have been quite provoking to a lot of people um, yes. who would have seen what she's doing and going, oh my God, labels, names, labels, names. Yes. Um, whereas, I mean, now, obviously, there are people who still think like that because they're backwards, but yeah. it's, it's no better or worse than it was then. It's just, hopefully, more people are a bit more open about it. But I think the film is definitely provoking you into a kind of reaction and thinking about things in that way. Lucky few Noah's here because I'm gonna have to hurt you. Oh, I'm shaking. You'd be hurt. Serious. If you don't stop, I'm throwing the whole lot of you out. Yeah. That if you put the characteristics of three people together, it might turn out to be the ultimate dream, you know, like a weird science kind of thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you kind of think, well, if they had, you know, if they had their emotional intelligence and their sense of humor and their physical whatever that would be my idea of perfection you know and it's, it's easy to think like that but then it's also perhaps posing the question that not saying you have to settle but it's um i think sometimes you kind of have to think that that isn't really that easy and, and humans are a bit more complex sometimes you might just have to find the person that suits you best and doesn't just tick not because they tick all your boxes or because you're perfectly matched with them in, in some way or another, but because they're actually the right person for you, you know, and maybe they have things that you wouldn't have thought about, but like six legs or three penises or whatever. That's very romantic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what you come to this podcast for, is it? <laughs> Hit it. So the Technicolor dance sequence that um, Jamie treats Nola to and gets her to click her heels together for, that's quite a, quite a surprising twist in the film, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, immediately hit with this blast of colour, 
in the yeah. middle of a black and white film but also it shows something that we don't necessarily see from um from jamie and that you know nola's an artist and he doesn't seem to not that he's some kind of cultural luddite or anything but it's something that seems to be hers whereas he knows the dancer of this pair yes. and he dance for them and he arranges this and and they put on this show for her in the middle of this park and it's this great romantic gesture it's like something out of la la land the way they, yes, it the is. Way they do all this <laughs> and then um and and it is an off-kilter thing because i think she's genuinely taken aback by the fact that he's put some thought into this it's not like he's given her a, a coupon for an hour of you know romance or whatever or taking her out for a fine steak dinner he's actually put something in that on the face of it appeals to her artistic traits the i find it weird that then within minutes devolves into a not an argument but a conversation around owing money for it but uh yes yes what did you think well i i think that it's a, a really nicely experimental bit and um i think that from having read up on it a little bit I think that Spike Lee wanted to put it in partly because he was a really big fan of MGM musicals when he was growing up and actually I the other night I watched um, Easter Parade which is a Fred Astaire Judy Garland 1948 musical that's like really and the the Sikh dance sequences and that like really reminded me of of this and there's something about the kind of um gritty aspect of New York that you see in this movie and then it kind of lifts you into a dance sequence and having the two things kind of mould that's really interesting and really good at showing you that undercurrent of Jamie where he's all kind of like, you know, moonlight and flowers with this kind of dark undercurrent because um, you have the dancers and it's all really brightly coloured but then like the, the stone around them is all sort of graffitied and the balloons are kind of deflated Mm. you know it's all sort of like there are all these sort of like little flaws in the scene and then like part of the sequence is the guy sort of throwing the drink in the woman's face and so even the dance sort of takes a bit of a kind of nasty turn at one point and so I think yeah it's just a really it's a really inventive just little scene isn't it that um fuses all these different genres but also tells you something quite great about the the central relationship yeah it's very it, it does take you out of it for a bit but in a good way i think it's yeah. um you know and, and deliberately done for that reason but um but yeah it's uh especially when you think uh, i mean this is a very short film by by modern standards anyway i mean it's less than an hour i, know, I love that about it <laughs> it's less than an hour and i a, wish uh, all films could be this short it's less than an hour and a half and i know a couple of people who do a podcast and 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 focus on films that are only less than 90 minutes yeah, very wise and I think, i'm sure is it netflix or amazon where they have a section of films under 90 minutes just for that purpose yes um but um but yeah and, and you think it being a short film it doesn't take long really for this to go from this colorful sunny display to rapist would you say that this movie covers a series of relationships that we haven't really looked at before i think so in that there are multiple people involved but there's no dishonesty it shows that in a way that is quite opening and empowering in some regards but then ultimately 
you're still left with an element of jealousy and fears on both or on all parts in, in some degree and the snobbery and, and the way that different people interact with each other. It's one of the more complex, despite it feeling quite simple. I mean, yeah. underneath there's a lot of layers to, to pull at really. And I think that's one of the great things that Spike Lee's done here in that it's a very low budget film, but because it's written so well and performed so well, you kind of forget about it and Completely. it gives us the chance to think about it 36 years later we, we talked about Top Gun recently which came out in the same year which was not a low budget well written exploration of the <laughs> female form but um, <laughs> what a film um, but this this was great and, and I think for us on this podcast I think it's um, it a, a perfect choice so thank you Oh, not at all. Well, I I love the way in this movie they allow her to have the last word, and I think the last thing that you see her do is is lie down in her own bed and go to sleep on her own. And then also there's um there's the fact that she reunites, doesn't she, with her old roommate, mm. and they because they fell out originally because Nola was bringing home a series of different guys, maybe. Maybe being a bit of a disruptive roommate didn't find out too much about that, but um, but I really like the way at the end of the movie she seems to kind of rekindle a friendship that she has. So you get the feeling that maybe she might have someone else in her life in a non-sexual context who she'll be getting some fulfilment from again, um, who's also artistic. So that's a really nice thing. She's got to have it, and she has it. Exactly. Good for Nola. Well, as we remove each item of clothing and fold it painfully slowly, we leave you with the question, would you drink a tub of our bath water? I've been Rich. I've been Kat. And this has been Don't You Want Me? <laughs>